Good morning. Would you please stand with me one more time as we read God's Word this morning? (laughs) We should just left you standing up, shouldn't we? Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Brooks. Yes. Yes, thank you. It's been uh, eight weeks since I last preached. Last time I was here, it was September 26th. I'd hurt my back on the 24th, gutted it out for three services, thought, well, I just need a little rest and I'll be back at it. That's not exactly the way it worked out. Found out I had a couple different herniations on uh, the disc between L2 and L3 and was unable to do anything um, except from my back. And that was five weeks, and then I had surgery, and it's been three weeks of recovery. So it's been eight weeks, and I just wanted to say from Stacy and I a thank you, um, the body of Christ. Christ has, has tangibly shown us his love through all of you. Um, your prayers, some of you are like, I wonder, is he going to make it 30 seconds or a minute before he cries? <laughs> I don't know if you were timing, but that was probably less than a minute. Um, your prayers, uh, all the meals, the gift cards for meals. We had people come and do yard work. We had people clean our house. We had people take me to and from the hospital as I lied down in the back of their seats and their cars. Um, and then... Just you all and your generosity, which is extravagant, by the way, in terms of helping uh, uh, with our medical expenses. I truly feel, honestly, like George Bailey at the end of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, minus the tinkling and the angel getting his wings, (laughs) because that's nonsense and heresy and not true. But everything else, um, everything else about the last scene of that movie is is honestly what, uh, what we have experienced. So thank you. And while I was gone, I did hear a rumor that you have become accustomed to 30 to 35-minute sermons. <laughs> that nonsense is officially over. <laughs> we are done with homilies, and we will do and do sermons. So uh, not to throw Jason and Josh under the bus. Well, they are under the bus. I'm backing over them and going forward, so... Uh, <laughs> I say that, and I ended early in the first service, but by a minute and a half, not 10 minutes. So, so uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. That's the passage that, uh, that John read for us. And it's actually the passage that, uh, that Pastor Josh preached from last week. What we've been doing over the last 10 weeks, uh, most of which is I've been gone. I've been preparing for six months for a ser- sermons series that I didn't actually get to preach most of. But the intent of that sermon series, Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus, was to look at various encounters that all sorts of different people 
had with Jesus. Now, when I mean different people, I mean some of them were very educated, some were uneducated, some were very religious, some were irreligious, some were male, some were female, but all of them had uh, one thing in common. They had questions. They had unmet needs. And they assumed, rightly so, that Jesus could address those. So our purpose in, in doing this last series that today uh, we will wrap up was to, to look at various encounters that people had with the living Savior and, and the questions that they as hum, human beings brought to Christ, which all of you share. You may not share every single one of the questions, like, like Nathaniel, he was searching for truth. Uh, Mary, after the death of the one she loved, Jesus, she was hopeless and she was searching for hope. So all of you have something that you could identify in this last series. And, and that's what we've been looking at. And last week, uh, Pastor Josh looked at the very same passage we're going to be looking at here uh, this morning. And, and the question was, what's our purpose? What's our purpose? And so last week, the question is, what's our purpose? And the answer is, our purpose, what we've created to be, what we've create, we were created by God to, to fulfill a purpose, and that purpose is to be his disciples, to follow him. That's why we exist. You say, well, I thought, I thought Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, yes, but that's a result of having a relationship with him, but that's, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to walk with him, to be and to make disciples. So that was, that was last week. What we're going to look at this morning is, is really a question, not so much for Jesus, but for us. How are we going to respond? We know what our purpose is. We know that Christ has called us to follow him, but how are we going to respond? Three questions that we need to, we need to resolve this morning as we look at the text is it'll help us process the, the question of how are we going to respond. And some of you are like, well, I already responded. I'm already following Christ. Great. How are you going to continue? So whether you are not yet a follower of Christ, you're considering it, or you've been following Jesus for 50 years, three questions that we need to consider. First of all, why does someone come to Jesus to begin with? Secondly, why should we obey? Why should we obey? And the third thing that we're going to look at is, how do we continue? How do we continue on in in following Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's, let's go to him in prayer. Let's commit our time to him and ask the, the, the spirit to speak through us through the word of God. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you, Father, for uh, bringing healing to me personally. Thank you for the prayers and the service of the saints. And Lord, as we open up the word of God this morning, spirit, we are dependent upon you to, to bring your word to life, that it might uh, touch hearts, unstop ears that don't listen, open eyes that are blind, and pray, Father, that you would give hearts of stone, hearts of flesh, that they might beat for you. Help us to hear your word and be changed by you, Spirit. And pray, Father, that you would do a work in individuals' hearts, but also the life of this particular church, your local church. We pray that you would pour your Spirit out on us, that we'd be filled, and that we'd bring glory to you. Help me to preach the word in your strength and in your power, that Christ might be exalted 
on this Sunday morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first question, why does anybody come to Jesus? You've been going through this this 10-week series, this 11-week series. Why did these individuals come to Jesus? Why did, why did you come to Jesus? Why did Kevin come to Jesus? Why did his granddaughter come to Jesus? Why did the two individuals this morning that, that got baptized, uh, uh, why did they come to Jesus? The answer is really simple. There was an unmet need that they had. Everybody comes to Jesus for a reason. They assume, rightly so, that he's going to meet their needs. So let's take a look here at Matthew chapter 11. It's not the passage we're going to be looking at for the rest of the morning, but it's as an intro, why do people come to Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, Jesus says, come to me. It's an invitation. It's a blanket invitation to anyone who will hear. Come to me. Come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, what does that mean, heavy laden? It means all of you who are working, but there's, you're just, there's something pressing you down. Something pressing you down. All of you who are heavy laden, and he says, I'll give you rest. If you come to me, I'll give you rest. But there's a catch. There's a catch. What does he say in verse 28? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's stop. What's a yoke? Ever been to the ox yoke in Amana? How many of you have been there? Okay, the ox yoke in. A yoke is a wooden structure or a harness that you lay on top of a beast of burden. An axe or a horse. An axe. An ox. An ox. An ox. I'm out of practice. It's been eight weeks. So you put this yoke on a beast of burden and then you harness this, this yoke to a plow or to a carriage or something. And so the beast of burden pulls the carriage along. Now, What does Jesus promise in verse 28? It's not a trick question. What's the text say? Rest. And then he says, oh, take my yoke. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many of you, when you observe a beast of burden that's harnessed, think to yourself, they're resting now? No, you think they're working now. That's the whole purpose of a yoke. So right away, we come to him for a need, and he says, work with me here. He said, wait a minute, that's counterintuitive. Keep reading. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, he reveals his character. I'm gentle and I'm lowly, humble at heart is what that means. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. And then he says, the yoke, my yoke, it's easy. And my burden is light. Now, some of you right now, you came to Jesus, you're coming to him because you have a need. You're burdened with guilt. You're burdened with a, a sense of a lack of purpose in your life. And so you think, oh, this Jesus thing, he's, he's the answer to the questions that I have. And I come to him and I want, I want what he has to give me. I want this. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Could we talk a little bit about the yoke thing? Because that doesn't sound like it's going to help me get what I want. I don't think the yoke is going to increase my happiness quotient. If anything, it sounds like it's going to be heavy and hard. And that's a reason why I'm not so sure I want to continue or start in this whole following Jesus thing. But what does he say? Verse 30, my yoke is easy. Some of you are thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be yoked. You're already yoked. You say, well, Brooks, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I didn't say you were yoked to Jesus. Every single one of you is yoked 
to something and you are working to find rest. You are laboring right now in some endeavor because you think that if I could just attain what I can't quite reach at that moment that I attain it, then I will have peace. Then I will find rest. Could be money, could be fame, could be fortune, could be comfort, could be ease. Nonetheless, you're yoked to something and you're working and you're banking on then I will have rest. And Jesus knows that. And he says, listen, that burden, all of you who are labor and are heavy laden, that's wearing you down. And if you get what you're working for, it won't give you peace and it won't give you rest. So one way or the other, everybody's yoked. It's just a matter of to whom or to what. Jesus is saying, yoke yourself to me. Yoke yourself to me. So all of us come to Jesus for a particular need. Now, the moment we sniff out that there's some effort involved on our part, wait a minute, yoke means work. Now we're talking about obedience. Now that's a question of why should I continue forward? Why should I yoke myself to you? Why should I obey? Because yoke implies obedience. And that's what the passage that, we're, we, that John read earlier speaks about. Let's take a look here. Jesus comes to them and says, this is it's right before he ascends into heaven. We looked at this last week. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's clear if you're going to yoke yourself to Jesus, you have to obey Jesus. If Jesus goes to the left, which way do you go if you're yoked to him? It's not a trick question. Left. If Jesus starts to veer to the right, which way do you go? Right. If Jesus stops, what happens to you? You stop. If he moves forward, what do you do? In other words, whatever Jesus does, you do. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How much of the commands? All. How many of you read the Sermon on the Mount and find that difficult to obey? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you've never read the Sermon on the Mount. Or you've read it and you forgot what it said. I guarantee that if you read Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 which is just one of his sermons, and you try to obey everything in there, you will think, this is hard. This is really hard. And yet Jesus is saying exactly that. So as we come to him for a need, and yet he says, continue with me and obey, we need to settle the question, what's my motive here for obedience? And there are three. Only one of them works. But here's the three, and I guarantee you that all of you will find yourself, sometimes you kind of walk, you kind of move all throughout all three, but only one of them is going to, 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 to give you rest. Only one of them is going to, to, to give you peace. The first one, the first one is you obey inwardly. In other words, for your sake. The second one is your obedience is outward for the sake of others, which is more altruistic, of course. And the third one is Godward. You obey for his sake. So for your sake, for their sake, or for his sake. One of the three. That's the motive for obedience. So let's take a look at them one at a time. Number one, an inward focus for my sake. This person obeys for their own sake. In their minds, they think this way. Okay, Take my yoke. Okay, I'll put the yoke on as long as I get what I want. 
I will obey if it gets me what I want. So the motive for obedience here is inward. It's, I will obey as long as it keeps me happy. If obedience would my, if I can sniff out, if I can tell that obedience is going to be hard, obedience might cost me, then all bets are off. Now, here's what this leads to. Number one, worst case scenario, it'll lead to apostasy. You say, what's apostasy? It means that if you have come to Jesus, you will stop and you will walk away from him. You will walk away from him. You say, well, what does that look like? I've, I've seen it over the years. I've seen individuals who were in uh, prayer groups that I led that would attend, that a, a guy I remember used to attend every Friday morning for years, walked away from Jesus. Said, what do you mean by walk away? Denied him, ceased to believe, renounced his faith. Remember another guy that led a small group. He was a part of a coaching group that I led. Fell into sin, left his wife, denies Christ. Denies Christ. So that's worst case scenario. These are individuals who used to profess Christ, both of whom were baptized and, and, and agreed with the three questions. Are you by nature and choice a sinner? Yes. Is there any hope for you apart from Christ? No. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. And now they say, ah, it's all garbage. I don't believe in Jesus. Worst case scenario. Well, if your obedience, if the purpose of you obedient, being obedient is to, is to, as long as Christ says, follow me, and you're like, is there something in it for me? Well, you won't follow him eventually. You'll just stop. Or, that's worst case scenario, or this, the next one's probably more common, you'll buy into the, the idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace is you treat Jesus as your Savior. In other words, you came to him because he offers you forgiveness. Who doesn't want forgiveness? The first two kids that were baptized are teenagers. Both of them, they were brothers, said they accepted Christ at an early age because they didn't want to go to hell. Raise your hand if you want to go to hell. That's what I thought. Nobody raises their hand. So when you find out Jesus is a ticket to your salvation, you say, well, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. So you come to Jesus. You say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And then Jesus says, okay, follow me as Lord. And you're like, wait, what's the Lord thing? He said, well, I'm the king of the universe. Well, yeah, what's that mean? Well, then I'm your king, and you obey me. Wait, wait, wait. I want you to be my savior, but I want to be the Lord. And so he entered this bargaining game with, there's no bargaining with the king of the universe. You don't get to negotiate with the one who spoke the universe into existence. He's the king, period, end of story. But cheap grace is the idea that I can have Jesus as my Savior, but obedience is optional. Since when is obedience optional? Some of you are getting nervous. Let me explain why some of you are getting nervous. The people that are getting nervous right now are not the people who are afraid to make Jesus Lord. No, that's not true. Maybe you're nervous too. Some of you are getting nervous because you're theologically astute and you think that I'm insinuating that salvation has something to do with you working for it. No. Let me tell you if you're saved, why you're saved. Because Jesus died for your sin. Because Jesus accomplished the obedience of the works of the law and he has given his merit to you. Period. End of story. Full stop. Your salvation is based upon what Jesus has done. Your works have nothing to do with it. But if you are saved, you will follow him. Works Always follow. You're saved by grace, and grace leads to works. 
In other words, you accept him as Savior because you need to be saved and you acknowledge him as Lord and then you follow him. If you accept him as Savior but you won't acknowledge him as Lord, you don't know him as Savior. You don't. That's why Jesus said, why, why do you call me Lord? You're dropping these titles on me. Lord, Lord. And yet you won't do anything I say. Luke 6, Matthew 7, 21. In my opinion, one of the most frightening verses in the New Testament. He says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, there's a lot of people chirping, oh yeah, Jesus is my Savior. Oh, I love Jesus. I was baptized. I go to church. Jesus, at the end of the age, just... you said, Lord, Lord, who are you again? Have we met? Later on, he says, many of them will say, I preach in your name. I cast out demons. I did miracles. And, and then Jesus says in verse 22, I'll tell them plainly, I don't even know who you are. So this idea that you can have Jesus as your Savior, but he's not your Lord, is, is completely unscriptural. There's no merit. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, let me just take you back off the ledge for those of you who are totally in despair right now. He's not talking about perfect obedience. That's not possible in this life. But there is a sense in which you, if you acknowledge Jesus as Savior, you also acknowledge him as Lord. The person who's received cheap grace, which is really not grace, does not acknowledge him as Lord. Acknowledging Jesus as Lord does not, does not exempt you from failure or disobedience. It just means that you recognize I should. Make sense? Okay, so that's the inward focus. Now, hopefully that's not most of you. It probably is some of you, at least on any given day. All of us can be that way. But here's another common reason or motive for obedience. And that is not an inward focus, what's in it for me, but a, an outward focus, meaning I'm supposed to obey because there's people who don't know Jesus. And if I don't obey, they'll never come to know Jesus. In other words, it's an altruistic motive. They're, the motive is for all of these people who don't know Jesus or to the people who do, but they're suffering because of poverty or injustice. So God has given me this command to go and make disciples and, and to obey all that he's commanded. And I'm doing it because there's all these people that don't know Jesus. And I got to tell them about Jesus. And there's all these people that are suffering and I got to relieve their suffering. And there are all these people that are experiencing injustice. And, and I got to right the wrongs of all the world so they can experience, experience what is good, what the, God's purpose and his intent. And, and by the way, that is that motive is better than the last motive, but I guarantee here's what it'll lead to. It'll lead, it's a recipe to guilt and burnout. Because here's the thing, I don't have it in me to change a person's heart. Have you ever noticed that I get more intense as I preach when I'm talking about people that need Jesus? Have you noticed this? It's somehow I have in my mind that if I just yell louder, that will cause you to, to receive Jesus. It doesn't work that way. There's nothing I can do or say to change your hearts. No matter how emotionally jacked up I get myself, I can't change you. I can't cause you to want Jesus. But I'll try. And it won't work. I can't do it. And you can't feed every hungry mouth in the universe. You can't undo all the injustice in the world. You can do something. 
But if you think it's upon you, it's incumbent upon you to fulfill the word of the Lord, to, to right every wrong and to make sure everybody knows about Jesus, you'll, that'll grind you into the ground. That'll grind you into the ground. That's a recipe for guilt and burnout. Let me give you a, a liberating secret. You ready? God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. So this is the first Sunday I've preached in eight weeks. The first staff meeting that I was back for, Caleb Stamp, our business director, gave an update on giving and attendance. Guess what? Giving and attendance has gone way up for the eight weeks I was on my back. (laughs) So what is the lesson that I'm supposed to take away from that revelation? I'll tell you the lesson. God does not need me. He doesn't need you. This notion, I remember Jim Sabin and Peggy came over. He's, he's a chair of our elder board and he had heard a rumor that I was going to come back earlier than I should. This is before my surgery. I was talking about someone videotaping me from my back so I could preach. Do you know what kind of arrogance and stupidity is going through a man's mind when he thinks the congregation needs to see him wallowing on his back? Otherwise, they'll be deprived of the word of God. That's utter nonsense. God doesn't need me. And praise God. But here's the thing. I get to be used by him, and so do you. He doesn't need me, but he chooses to use me. He doesn't need you, but he chooses to use you. He invites us to walk alongside with him because we're his sons and daughters. We are royalty, and he wants you to experience him. He wants you to experience the joy of what it looks like to see someone come into the kingdom of God. He wants you to experience the the thrill of of knowing that God created you for a purpose and that purpose was to be united with him and to be used by him. But he doesn't need you. There's no guilt there. That doesn't grind you into the ground. That's like, it's it's a privilege to preach the word of God to you. It's a privilege to serve others in the body of Christ. It's a privilege to serve those who don't know Christ. What does Jesus say? If the stones fail to, or if if you fail to cry out, what will cry out? The stones, the stones. Somebody after the first service, you mean Keith Richards and Mick Jagger? Yes, them too. If we don't cry out, the stones, the Lord doesn't need us, but he will use us. He will use us. That's an outward focus. That's an outward. There's an inward. I'm going to obey because of what I'll get out of it. And then if, if Jesus says go left and that looks hard, then I'll, I won't go. There's an, there's an outward focus that, oh, if I don't obey, these people are going to be lost and God's work won't get done. That's altruistic, but it's not true. And it leads to burnout It leads to guilt. And then there's a Godward focus. Not for my sake, not for their sake, but for his sake. Matthew 28, verse 19, the first part. 
And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. So there's a therefore in verse 19. What's the therefore incumbent upon? What's the text say? The fact that he's been given all authority. That's the basis for obedience. Not because... um, not for my sake and not for their sake, but for his sake. Why? Because all authority has been given onto him. Now, where does that authority come from? It comes from the Father. All authority. Jesus is saying, authority has been given unto me. From whom? Where did he get the authority? From his Father. So that authority is, is his. What's that mean? He's the king of the universe. All authority. All authority has been given unto the Father. And authority then is... It's been given. He received it from the Father. Now, our part is to acknowledge that authority. What's it mean? It means that Jesus has authority over your body. You've heard the, it's not your body, don't touch me. You can you hear that from the people that don't want to be vaccinated. You hear the people who don't want to be told they can't have an abortion. You hear it from everybody. It's not your body, it's my body. No, it's God's body. It's not yours. He has authority over your body, all of it. He has authority over your sexuality. He has authority over your finances. He has authority over your relationships. He has authority over your vocation. He has authority over you taking your next breath. Everything you do falls under the authority of God. You say, no, it doesn't. I don't acknowledge authority. It doesn't matter. There's no rebellious molecules in the universe. Even your rebellion... Even your stupidity, my stupidity, taking the tree out of the back of the truck falls under his authority. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God uses everything. He's an authority over everything. Some of you are like, I don't know, Brooks. Sickness is from Satan. And Satan's under whose authority? Have you read Job? Everything and everyone is under his authority. Now, that doesn't mean everyone acknowledges that authority. You get to acknowledge that as a disciple, acknowledging that authority. Now, that reality, you come to that point. If you're a follower of Christ, you acknowledge that. You, yes, I'm under his authority. Okay, now let's just all be real here. How many of you find obedience difficult at times? Of course you do. Everybody does. Because if you're yoked to Jesus, he will veer to the right. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. The right looks hard. It is hard. Right on cue. First service, it was a little baby that just squawked. But here's the thing. Obedience can be difficult. But what does he say about that yoke? It's easy and light. My burden is light. I'll give you rest. So there's a sense in which obedience can be frustrating. How many of you read Romans 7? This is Paul talking about, Paul says, I know the good that I ought to do, but the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. And I find this, I find this principle at work. The evil uh, that I don't want to do is what I do, and the good that I want to do, I don't do. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, until I am face-to-face with Jesus in glory, I got to carry around this body of flesh. And, and this body of flesh is not cooperative in the obedience My stomach wants more food than it needs. My eyes, the lust after things that I don't yet have. 
They can never be satisfied. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that that stops, right? So obedience can be difficult. It can be frustrating. Obedience can frustrate. First of all, it will, it will frustrate the, the pseudo-disciple. Pseudo-disciple means the person who's deluded into thinking they're a disciple, but they're not really a disciple because they've acknowledged Jesus as their Savior, but they won't acknowledge Him as Lord. That's not a disciple by definition. That person will be frustrated because they'll come to the realization that they don't get to be God. Well, that's frustrating when you want to be your own God and it turns out that there's only one God and you don't get to wear the name tag that says God and that's frustrating. When you find out that that God has authority over everything, that can be frustrating if your goal is to control your own life. So it will frustrate the pseudo-disciple, but it'll also frustrate the genuine disciple because they'll find out that they'll, they'll want to go and they'll say, I want to follow. And they, I'll take his yoke and they go and then they find out, oh, they failed again and again and again. Again and again. And that can be frustrating. That can be frustrating. So the question is, how do we continue? Where does a genuine disciple derive the ability to obey? How many of you have small children? Raise your hand. Nate, how old is your youngest? Two. Two. Perfect. I'm glad he didn't say 12. <laughs> so let's say that Nate comes to his two-year-old boy or girl? Daughter. daughter. Two-year-old daughter. Honey, daddy wants you to mow the lawn. <laughs> Reasonable request? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. That's absurd. You look at the commands of God, and sometimes we think that we don't have the ability to obey them because we fail all the time. So, but here's the thing. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Does God give us commands we don't have the ability to obey? It's a trick question. Apart from Christ, John chapter 15, verse 8, we can do nothing. But here's the thing. You're not apart from Christ if you're a disciple. Let's take out the... Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's not frosting. That's substance. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can't observe all that I'm commanding you to do unless my presence and my power are with you. John chapter 14, he told his disciples right before he was arrested, he said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't sweat it. Don't worry. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to do greater things even than I did. Whatever you ask my Father in my name, I will do for you. And I am going to go away, but I'm going to send another like me. He will be with you, and he will be in you. Because he's with you now. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to send my spirit. 
My spirit is not just going to walk alongside you physically. I'm not going to walk alongside you physically. You won't see me. I'm not. It's going to be better than that. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to take up residence within you. My Holy Spirit is going to come inside of you. My Holy Spirit is going to seal you. My Holy Spirit is going to sanctify you. My Holy Spirit is going to empower you. My Holy Spirit is going to unite you with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to use you to do greater things in this world than I ever did when I was here. God wants you to experience him. I remember when my wife first was diagnosed with Lyme. She contracted it in 1998. She was finally diagnosed six years later. And her doctor said, Stacy, you're going to get better. And she cried. And then she was afraid. And she said, I'm afraid to get better. And I was like, why? She said, because when I've been in this much pain, I've experienced the presence of Christ and I'm afraid I'll lose that. And I thought to myself, you're insane. (laughs) I didn't really think that. I just was, I was in awe by that because I couldn't understand it until now. on the five weeks that I was on my back and everything that I did, every movement caused pain. I have never experienced the presence and the power and the palpable love of Christ that I did when I was in pain. And I don't want to lose that because I can walk again. And I don't have to. And neither do you. Some of you are thinking, Do I have to get Lyme disease or a broken back to experience the presence and power of Christ? Not according to the Bible. You just need the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. That's okay. That's why we make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. That's why we have the body of Christ. And that's why the next series is not called Encountering Jesus. It's called Encountering the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We're going to focus on the person of the Holy Spirit so you can experience the person of Jesus because the reason Jesus sent the Holy Spirit was so that you could experience Him. His presence and His power. You don't obey out of your own strength. You can't muster up love for God. But you can be filled with the Spirit. You can be empowered. You can experience His power and His presence because of what God wants to do in and through you, not in your own strength, but through His strength. How do we continue with Jesus? one step at a time in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God, which dwells within you. So where do we go from here? First of all, for those of you who have not yet received Christ, your first step is to receive Him as Savior. To receive Him as Savior. There is a card in front of you. It says, Believe 
It is somewhere in my Bible. Perhaps not. Brian, could you grab that card and hold it up? Thank you. Thank you, John. It looks like this. Uh, I believe. Today I trusted Jesus Christ for the pavement of my sins and accept his righteousness as my own. Or I have questions about trusting in Jesus. If you want to follow Christ and you want to receive his forgiveness, if you want to come and yoke yourself to him and receive that peace and receive that rest, but you're not sure how to do that, or you said, no, I know what I need to do. I want that. Fill that out. Let us know. Say, why do I have to let you know? Because nobody follows Christ alone. We are the body of Christ. Let us know. Some of you, you've trusted Christ and you've made that decision and you, you need to be baptized. So what's baptism? It doesn't save you. It just simply says to the world, hey, I'm a disciple. I'm following him. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're a part of the same family. Let's go do this thing in his power and his strength. It's the acknowledgement. He's not just my savior. He's my Lord. I'm doing this because I love him and I'm obeying him. So take that step. Take that step. And join us for the next four weeks and learn how to be empowered by him, through him, for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to give yourself for us. Lord, obedience is scary sometimes. But Lord, you've called us to be of good courage. And you've said to us that if we come to you, you'll give us peace and you'll give us rest. And that that yoke that you put on us is your yoke. And it's easy. Father, I pray that you would help us to to believe that. Give that person here this morning who is wrestling with whether to trust you or not, the faith to trust you. Give that person who is thinking about being baptized the courage to go forward for the encouragement of the body of Christ. And give each person here the, the, the grace to obey whatever you're calling them to. And Lord, would you do that for your glory? Would you do that that Christ might be lifted up? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.